0: Hello and welcome to the Conscious Consulting Podcast, where we will introduce you to the Conscious Consulting Philosophy. Together with our senior advisors from all around the world, we blend the deep knowing of wisdom traditions, technology, modern science and business, and show you how to transform this wisdom into impact in your daily life as a consultant, leader or entrepreneur. Welcome to the CCG Community. Robert Thomas moved to San Francisco in his 20s, where he founded multiple successful businesses. But after many years on the fast track, Robert found himself on a cliff and Robert became a Zen monk and lived more than 21 years as an ordained Zen Buddhist priest. He has almost 30 years of meditation practice and teaches now for over 18 years mindfulness meditation in secular settings and retreats. Robert is also a senior advisor at the Conscious Consulting Group and brings traditional wisdom principles and practices to business leaders all around the world. And in this special podcast episode, Robert gives us an introduction to Buddhism. He shares the life story of Buddha and how Buddhism developed and gives an insight to fundamental key concepts and practices of Buddhism. So... Relax, sit back and enjoy the special teaching on the Contrast Consulting podcast.
1: I'd like to start by thanking Julia and Christian for for bringing us all together. I also um would like to make it clear to you that that I'm not I'm not a Buddhist scholar that instead it's it's more like me picking out some of the key concepts principles practices that I have found helpful to me as a practitioner as a practitioner in this modern world you know living and functioning now in this modern world not no longer even in the in the monastery just uh take what feels um uh beneficial and the rest just let let flow by so let's let's jump in with the basics uh so some people have experience with buddhist practice and some people don't have experience with buddhist practice so i'll i'll just start with you know very simple uh description that uh uh says that, you know, the Buddha was an actual person uh, who lived nearly 2,600 years ago, born in what is now southern Nepal, growing up as a prince, being groomed to be, you know, successor to his king, the father. Uh, but at the age of 28, he left his palace. And, and this life that was just pretty much prescribed, laid out, laid out for him, And he uh, began a spiritual journey where he sought to do nothing less than understand the most fundamental truths about what it is to be a human being. Why and how we suffer and what are the ways and conditions for our
2: deep and lasting peace and contentment and happiness and fulfillment in life. He practiced, he wandered around studying with various
1: teachers at the time for six years, and and then famously, sitting under uh, the Bodhi tree, he experienced a profound insight into the nature of reality. Something we... We now today call it his enlightenment. And based on this experience and the insights gained from from it, he spent the next forty years uh, wandering throughout India, uh, uh, you know, teaching and guiding his disciples and and uh, uh, train, training, training uh, other teachers, and uh, kind of disseminating or, and
2: developing his, his thoughts about how to practice, laying the basic groundworks over that, the course of that 40 years for what would eventually become
1: one of the major world, w- the world's major religions. Uh, a religion that spread out across from, from India, across Asia, and, and now globally you know, hundreds of years later. So, so I would like to share my understanding of some basic principles and practices by presenting key concepts that can be grouped together uh, at three distinct, but related levels. Uh, the first level is the level of, of worldview. Um, it's the level of, of world system making. It's the level of what, what I like to call framework making in a kind of a secular interpretation. You know, how do we create a framework for us to understand our world and ourself in that world? So, so the, the, I'll, I'll talk about that at kind of a highest level. And then we'll move to a, a second level that's at the level of, of uh, maybe organizing. It's a structural level. It's the level of uh, what I like to call pattern making. And then the third level is at the level of, of direct action, practice, engagement, service. Um, individual intention impact you know so so that's that's the third level so I'm, I'm going to talk about practice some some key some key aspects not not completely everything but some key aspects that i that i find particularly interesting about at each of those levels so um at the at the worldview level or the you as I said, I like to say at the framework making level, what the Buddha experienced, what the Buddha saw, what the Buddha understood or realized in that in that time uh, that we we call as enlightenment under the tree is is our key reference point. Um, what he realized and then spent the rest of his life teaching about um, is that the fundamental nature of reality and everything, everything within our experience of ourselves and our world functions or works or exists according to two
2: principles. The first one is that everything, everything, is constantly
1: moving and changing. There is nothing that's staying that's staying in one place, and nothing that's not constantly that's fixed and not
2: constantly moving and changing all the time. And this includes everything from the smallest element
1: in an atom to the largest mountains, to the stars as far and and galaxies as far away as we can imagine. So everything is moving and changing constantly.
2: The other principle is that everything is in relationship with everything else. Everything is interconnected and interdependent. And, and, Everything is in this web
1: of 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 life that is we that we call we use the kind of in Buddhism we use a technical term that and every every element, every every single, no matter how small or how big in this in this web of life, this boundless, boundaryless web of life is dependently co-arising is arising is coming into being for and with and from everything else now some things some of these relationships are very
2: close and very direct and observable and some are very far away but everything is part of this this uh
1: yeah this web of life so so recently I've started to see, see and understand this as, as almost functioning on two axes. You know, one is, one is, the, uh, is, is the axis of, of time. And so everything, everything changes or everything is constantly changing, everything is
2: constantly moving is, is an aspect of time. And the other aspect as, axis or aspect there is space. Everything is in
1: relationship with everything else. Everything is in, an, is in a dependent relationship with everything else. And this is important for us to, to understand and, and to some extent for each one of us as, as we develop as practitioners to, to really kind of um, – Uh, get inside of our bodies to embody this this kind of understanding and be able to express it this is important because it directly connects with how we suffer and how we find happiness and
2: fulfillment peace and contentment in our lives so the buddha taught that we suffer in three different ways we
1: suffer at, a very, at one very basic level. There's, there's not, an, not an option because we have, we have bodies and we have lives and we have feelings and emotions and nervous systems. So, so we are going to do things like, like stub our toes. Do you say that in German? You stub your toe? You know, um, we're going to get sick. We're going to uh, get old. We're going to die. We're going to have people we love die. So there's, there's some level of, of grieving or pain or, or difficulty that's just inherent, just is connected to the fact that, that we're alive and we're feeling human beings. And that's not so optional at, that, at, at this very basic level. Then there's another level that's actually quite optional. Um, Uh, And this is directly related to these two axes. We suffer because things on some high, you know, high level. We suffer because things don't stay the same. Because things are changing. because, Because things aren't fixed. Because I don't know how things are going to happen. Because life is uncertain.
2: And we also suffer... Because we're in relationship with everything else, we suffer because we're not
1: we're not uh, uh, free to do whatever we want, and and we're dependent on our on being able to survive as human beings
2: with thing, the things around us. So this this creates suffering, and our and our
1: usual strat- human strategies to to relieve this suffering is to try to control them, right? To try to make things as certain as possible as, or as predictable as possible, or to try to, uh, in terms of relationships, to get more, more of what I like and less of what I don't like. And, and success or happiness on that, on that level is, is, um, is kind of uh, having the freedom uh, whether it's financial or emotional or physical, to be able to um, uh, avoid things, you know or get more of what we like and just and just be around that all the time so so that's on some level that's defining in today's modern world what what success is or what happiness is. But uh,
2: as the Buddha pointed out thats that's not a deep and true and lasting Happiness—that's a happiness that takes a lot of is uh, takes a lot of work and is not lasting. And it's just a surface level of happiness or contentment or peace. So, so understanding these two axes of, of
1: you know. Things always changing and, and us functioning in this interdependent web of, of life is also important because this insight is, is the basis for a key concept of Buddhist practice, which
2: is called emptiness. And emptiness in, in this context means uh, Lacking or empty of any fixed, permanent, uh, abiding, non-changing, independent, autonomous self.
1: So it's lacking all of those things. And because, because something is lacking those things... It's empty. It's emptiness. So, so especially in Zen Buddhism, but, but this idea shows up in various uh, forms of Buddhism, this is especially important to see that even though there are forms all around us, all of these forms are actually empty
2: of any true, fixed, permanent, inherent existence. And, and we can only call it this, or we can only
1: refer to it like this, or we can actually only understand it in a very provisional way, conventionally, to work with, uh,
2: you know, we call, we call this a glass. So that, when, so that we know that when somebody asks us for a glass, we know what to bring them.
1: but in another context maybe this is not a glass maybe it's a vase in another culture they don't they wouldn't even know this as a glass maybe it's a it's a, in in another language it
2: would be whatever you call it you know in in austria it's not glass so this so this form is emptiness but the emptiness is also form. The
1: fact that things are actually always changing and things are interdependent
2: allows them to take form. So this is what leads me to the third most, the third important
1: point uh, or yeah, point to appreciate about, about this access of space and time is that the Buddha saw that this was not some kind of
2: of special understanding that he had under the under the bodhi tree is not some kind
1: of of understanding that came from his uh, his his wealth or privilege or uh, it it was a result of his practice. But he saw that it was it was not some kind something that a that comes in the form of knowledge but it
2: actually is was a revealing of that which was already there an unveiling of that which was already because
1: it is his was his and the world's true nature that which was already present all along but he just didn't see it and he saw that just like he now saw it that any human being that all of us can see it there's no difference between any human being no matter how educated how wealthy how
2: how whatever we could all have this kind of realization or this awakening we could all see this. Any person could realize this for themselves. So this is this is all this is all at the level
1: of, of, of framework making, understanding how we how we might have a shared or a, or a new even view
2: of our world. But just having this new framework or this new view of our world is actually not enough. You know, the,
1: the Buddha saw that it's not enough. And so that's why he spent the next 40 years of his life uh, trying to help people understand, well, how do, we, how do we kind of integrate this kind of understanding, this deep, deep sense of, of the nature of reality? Once we've started to glimpse it or see it more fully, then, then how do we how do we bring that into our lives as human beings for the purpose of of benefiting others?
2: So that's when we get to get to the the next level of uh, seeing how, how
1: do we organize, how do we structure practice in ways that it can be shared and extended? So, so I don't imagine that that the Buddha had um, like, like, an executive team, and he sat down and said, "Okay, we have this great idea. How are we going to scale it guys uh, but
2: but I do think he gave a lot of thought into how uh, how to you, so to speak scale practice,
1: how to extend it, how to share it, how to communicate it, and how to organize." Then uh, practice, and uh, so to to create kind of safe containers for practice. Uh, to create practice that um, uh, was was uh, had a, was authentic, or or had a fidelity, or a uh, uh, a deep enough kind of value that it was that, that it could. It could actually- realize, it could actually benefit people in a very, very deep way, so he gave a lot of thought and and many, many teachings about how to how to work
2: at the level of what I like to call pattern making so so the first so this involves
1: you know at at some level in the way I want to organize it today. But this this kind of pattern making involves involves creating conditions at at also, in also three different ways. The first way is is simply with the model and example of the Buddha. Um, the the model and example of an enlightened being, the model of an, an example of someone who has made the commitment to train their mind. And and uh, master practice in a way that they can actually not only uh, experience directly this this true this nature of reality this this everything constantly changing and everything interdependent with each other, but that they can actually share that with others.
2: and benefit others through their practice through their example through their through their interactions
1: some of which may involve speech but but many just involve you know just just observable actions so that's that the first pattern making condition is is this example of of a committed practitioner who has mastered the practice at a certain level, that actually that actually can can at that level can be communicated to others, inspire others, and encourage others, and and
2: uh, um, uh, yeah, encourage others to actually take up that path for themselves. So the, the second pattern creating
1: condition is is um,
2: at the level of person at level growth and development and learning. So so
1: we we oftentimes call this this level dharma, which means truth or or teachings. So so it to to actually embody the the values and the and the um, you say the principles there that I was t- that we were talking about in the first in the first section um, everything changing everything connected um, uh, we need ways to actually express that and embody that ourselves and and a key way is to share it with others the same way I'm doing it here today it's just like speaking about it, sharing ideas, developing new ways of expressing ideas and new forms uh, that that are, you know, relevant and compelling to that context. The other way is to actually have forms of practice where people actually have to
2: engage, you know, actively in experiential learning, put their body into certain shapes pay attention in a, in a particular way for a period of time. Those kinds of things. Those kinds of things. And, and so so the activity
1: of, of, of Buddhism is very much um, uh, an expression or an embodiment of the wisdom and compassion
2: that comes out of that basic understanding of, of the true nature of reality. And the third, the third pattern, pattern creating condition,
1: is is a community of practitioners that help help each other, kind of continue on the path of practice, and. Um, um,
2: Encourage each other to grow and develop. They provide highly contextual kind of support uh,
1: and encouragement, and, and these are like these are what we might call dharma friends. Very particular kinds of friends, friends who will
2: who will encourage our practice, friends who will inspire our practice, mentors. Guides, people who will ask us questions, people who will keep us accountable. There's a story that uh, you know the Buddha was the Buddha was practicing, and, and he had
1: an attendant uh, for for most of his life, and this this fellow's name was Ananda, and and suddenly it it occurred to Ananda that that. Um, actually, you know, this community practice is is pretty important. Uh, you know, because sometimes we think, well, the, the Buddha, you know, just realizing, you know, Buddhahood must be most important, and then maybe, you know, the teachings are also important, and then, okay, we have to we have to live with this group of people, you know, so let's figure it out somehow. But, but actually, the, the it was a, it was dawning on Ananda that. That oh actually there's a lot of practice going on in, in my relationships with these people I'm I'm practicing with. So he goes to the Buddha and he says, you know, something like I'm paraphrasing, something like, well, you know, this yes, actually this is the the Sangha is pretty important, isn't it, Buddha? And uh and, and Buddha says, you know, Ananda, it's not only that the Sangha is pretty important, the Sangha
2: is all is is all of the practice life. The sangha is everything. Because the sangha is actually where the practice happens. It's not like we
1: practice somewhere else and then we go into our lives. And then we go into our situation and we say, Well, wow, how do I practice here? But actually the, 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 the practice is happening, the context for our practice and the requests. For our practice, the request to, to practice
2: comes out of the actual circumstances of our life, the challenges of our life. Those challenges related to the fact that, you know, I, I can't think
1: things aren't things things aren't how they used to be. And and oh, now I, I can't do this anything anymore by myself. Like I'm taking care of my 89 year old father now, he's used to being totally on his own, totally independent, totally making, controlling everything, deciding what he wants to do, when he wants to do it. And now, now he's in a situation where he's totally dependent on
2: people to do everything, including going to the bathroom or taking a shower. So he's having a great time, kind of awakening to to the fact and, and the joys actually of being dependent on others. So so these are important to understand about practice,
1: you know, these these three the the model of the Buddha, the the um, the the value of the the teachings being shared and and the practices uh being shared among people and then and then this this sense of of a community of support uh for us uh it's it's it, i and i it's it's really it's it's that's what in some ways that's what allowed buddhism to extend and flourished after the Buddha died, you know this kind these kinds of structures, these kind, this kind of pattern making um, because, because and it allowed, it allowed Buddhist practice to then move into different cultures and be, and find its own way of being relevant in the same form, same basic form, it, it allowed Buddhism to find its way to be relevant in extremely different cultures.
2: With extremely different value systems, extremely different cultures, uh, or histories, backgrounds. A, a key, a really uh,
1: wonderful concept that I... I didn't really appreciate until i have been practicing for some time is that, is that when somebody comes into this kind of a, of a shape where you have somebody representing the teacher, somebody, uh, some way of, of sharing the teachings, a practice in place and a community of people who are committing themselves, dedicating themselves to to embodying and expressing those those values and that practice and that understanding, we, we, we call that taking refuge. And I used to bristle at that kind of word. I used to think taking refuge, that sounds like kind of maybe like too much. But actually, actually I've, I've warmed up to it, especially that I'm no longer in that system because it was only in that kind of pattern making system that i could actually change transform my life because that that change from that from that usual from that usual path of that i talked about earlier trying to control things or trying to make things more predictable or trying to uh, gain my freedom by being autonomous or being yeah being
2: being independent is hard It's hard to learn that. It's hard to change. So we need help. And we need those kind of patterns to guide us.
1: Because we're going to fall down and then need to stand up again. And we're going to fall down and we're going to fail
2: over and over and over again. And that's why it's a practice. Because we have to continue. So the next level and the last level I'm going to talk about is at the level of of, um, making a difference. Personal action. uh, Individual intention. Engagement. Service. My practice. My commitment. My aspiration at that level—it's the—it's the, at the level
1: of individual mindset or individual uh, attitude.
2: So, so the, the Buddha planted, you know, uh, planted the seeds
1: for uh, and and gave you know incredible number of teachings um, uh, about. How to how to practice and how to organize our practice as uh, for as as um, as a practitioner. But oftentimes it was it was directed, and for the most part, it was directed to his to his group of monks. Occasionally, he would be talking in a more broad way to a to a group of lay practitioners. But for the most part, it was during that time he was teaching to. To monks who were who were disciples of his, it was in the hundreds of years after the Buddha's death that Buddha that the these the teachings of the Buddhism of, of the Buddha started to kind of extend beyond the walls or the or the boundaries of a monastery and those more dedicated practitioners into uh, um, the lives of everyday people. And as it extended into the lives of everyday people, a, a concept kind of came into, uh, came into being, uh, they gained over, over a couple of hundred years, gained an incredible amount of power and um, uh, influence and, and guided basically the development of a whole um, other kind of style of practice of Buddhism, we call the Mahayana which Zen is a part of, and this, and this, uh, uh, this, this way of practicing uh, has um, developed a, a particular kind of a model, in addition to the model of the Buddha, uh, which, which still was existent, but seemed to be a little bit distant, right? Seemed to be a little bit unattainable, another model, came into existence called, that we call the bodhisattva. Bodhi means enlightening, and sattva means being. So an enlightening being, and this is the example or
2: architect of a, or archetype of a practitioner who is dedicated and committed to being on a path of practice, but vows to, to forego any kind of like ultimate enlightenment in place of benefiting um, benefiting all beings. So the Bodhisattva makes this makes this um you know. Makes this shift in their life that that they are going to live their life in a profoundly beneficial way for all beings, including themselves, but all beings So, the Bodhisattva you know adopted
1: the worldview that we were talking about, the framework framework making they function they train they practice within the context of the of the pattern making but they're also committing to benefit others in every single possible way they possibly can never wavering from this from this deep intention so so there's somebody who's who's made who's kind of like you know this this, this fork in the road that the Buddha identified between you know, the usual way that we could just keep on living based on our habits and, and uh, almost like living in almost like a hardwired way. That we could actually take a different path, that there's a fork in the road, that there's another option for us. There's, there's more possibilities out out there for us as human beings, that we're actually seeing on this other path, that there
2: is like infinite amount of possibilities on this other path. So the Bodhisattva commits to taking that path. And in that that way, the Bodhisattva is the, kind of like the, the sacred carrier of the intention to practice and benefit and do good in every context, in every moment of the life uh, of a person's life, or in every situation, no matter how difficult. So, so I'm, I'm quickly going to describe uh, uh, in Zen
1: how we think about the, the basic methods that the bodhisattva actually engages with the world uh, you know of course i just said you know in every way possible but but there's some there's some way of categorizing these these methods and and different schools of buddhism will come up with different formations there's like six paramitas there's or there's the nine uh, eightfold path or there's 10 paramitas or or there's you know different configurations of of what what this life looks like just to give people some guidance in zen we have four four of these methods um and and these these four are giving freely kind speech beneficial action and cooperation
2: so so kind uh giving freely is is not taking it's not. It's definitely not taking what is not given. But freely
1: is a very important word there. It's actually giving without an
2: expectation of return. And this may be giving
1: material objects. It may be giving uh, advice, teachings. It may be
2: giving uh, guidance. Or it just may be giving attention, caring, love, listening. And to make this real for all of us, I'll I'll invite you to think about
1: somebody in your life
2: who gave something to you without an expectation. Of anything in return, I think that most people can can actually remember
1: those people. I have I have a number of people who come to mind just uh, uh, immediately that somehow I knew that this person was giving something me something to me, and didn't
2: need anything back from me, and it was profoundly impactful in my life. So giving freely. Kind speech
1: could also be generally thought of as in general, in general as, as kindness, you know, because this this notion of speech also includes, you know, our thoughts too. You know any any kind of verbal expression starts with some kind of formation of of concepts and and uh, 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 stories and narratives and and uh, uh, so so then gets eventually expressed as as
2: speech. So so generally, you know kindness. Um, can include all the actions of the body, uh, speech, and mind. And even as we
1: think about kindness, it also connects to qualities or or, uh,
2: practices of, of empathy, compassion, equanimity, And then the third, the third uh, kind of method for the bodhi, bodhisattvas, or you could say practice of the bodhisattvas, is um, beneficial action. Having an attitude or
1: a mindset that in each moment, no matter what the conditions are,
2: no matter how difficult or how challenging, the bodhisattva is seeking, seeking out, The way, seeking the way to find, find what might be most beneficial.
1: So this isn't actually leading this, this beneficial action. It's not actually a list of beneficial actions. It's actually more like a list of questions.
2: Okay, what is going to be beneficial now? It's an intention. It's a willingness to go into each situation not knowing
1: what is going to be beneficial, but actually having the
2: intention to be a benefit, to be a positive force, to help. That's that practice. And there's so much more I could say about every single one of these, but I'm trying to uh,
1: get to to the end of this. Uh, uh, And the last one is cooperation means identifying ourselves as part of a
2: larger being, as part of the larger body. Ultimately, you know, in Zen we have this, we have this phrase that the entire universe is the true human body. It's the true human body. The entire universe. Where, where, would, where would the end be? So this cooperation is how is a question still also. How are we going to, what does my attitude need to be to work together with everything? Not just my little team here. And not just my
1: city, not just my everybody in my country, but actually the, the, all the, the mountains
2: and the, and the rivers and the trees and the elephants and the snakes and the birds and the clouds and the stars, all of those things. What is it to cooperate with everything? So so I'd I'd like to close with something that's um maybe a little bit more a little bit more personal. Um, and then and then we can
1: open it up to questions you may or maybe maybe you've had made your own connections or have your own insights or would like to share something uh, here wh- whatever we'd like to do after this but, but I'd like to close by just saying that that I don't think I would have been, would have made it as a practitioner. Certainly, probably wouldn't, wouldn't have st- st- stuck with the, the difficulty of practice or the, 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 the choice of, be, of, of dedicating my life to become a, a Buddhist
2: practitioner if it hadn't worked on two different levels for me. At one level, it's extremely kind of like humble, small, intimate. It's a matter of, of, of like, how will I, will I put this cup down on the surface? It's a matter of how will I meet this moment? fully How will I do the most basic How will I how will I plant this flower in a way that harmonizes with my deepest intention How will I do the simplest thing Nothing so nothing so complicated you know, how will I take care of this thought I have right now in the best possible way? So at one level, it's extremely kind of humble and simple. And then another level, it's
1: completely radical and audacious. I mean, there's, there's probably been no more audacious concept uh, uh, shared with the world than, than the notion of complete enlightenment. I still remember the day when I was walking along in college and somebody, some, a friend of mine said, oh, those people are very enlightened. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but I was like fascinated. It was the
2: power of that kind of concept. Well, what would it be like to, for somebody to actually wake up and see the world in a different way. And I still I still get inspired by as a practitioner by both of those things
1: at the same time. And and so I just wanted to share that with you because sometimes it seems like well this practice is just so maybe just so
2: so simple and small and 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 difficult or you know Meaningless, you know, in terms of a larger scale change that needs to happen in the world.
1: But even in that small, that small way in which we, you know, hold somebody's hand or we look into somebody's
2: eyes or we ask somebody, How are you doing? That expression of the possibility of ourselves as enlightenment
1: as as realizing this true nature my true nature which is no different than the true nature of everything that's there too that's possible too that's right there with us
2: and that's getting expressed also that's getting communicated also that's getting conveyed also so so i'll
1: stop there and uh and like i said you know i'm i'm open to any questions you might have uh, if you didn't understand or if you'd like to challenge me on anything i said or or uh, uh you know feel free to do that um or or make like i said make make any of your uh, make any of your own connections or, or share any any of your own insights i'm happy happy to do that as well so so thank you
0: thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Contrast consulting Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into the field of conscious consulting and become a part of our community, just visit our website ccg creweu and subscribe to our newsletter so we can stay connected. We look forward to having you on board.